Sean is my brew from Derbs. Um, and whenever I speak to Sean, I cannot help it, but then my, I have to speak, I have to try to be cool like Sean. Um, like the way he talks, the way he walks, everything is just so lacquer. Um, but tonight we are starting with a new sermon series called Taken Captive. Um, and I'm really excited about this as we are heading into a space to see that there are many different ways that we've been taken captive, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, um, or in our minds, and that's something we're going to focus on a lot next week, but that the Lord has made a way out, um, that there's this redemptive um, narrative right throughout the Bible, how God steps into stories to set people free. So tonight, we have the huge privilege of having Dr. Sean with us, um, and he's going to be open, um, opening up the Word. So let's just stretch out our hands, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this mighty man of God. We thank you, Lord, for a man of faith and a man who deeply loves you. Um, I thank you, Father, for the word that you've imprinted into his heart um, and also on his notes. And we just praise you tonight for what you want to come and do and accomplish, Lord. Um, we open up our hearts to receive from you, and we choose tonight, Lord, to submit ourselves under the authority of Scripture. Amen. Good evening, church. How's it going? These lights are pretty bright here. Cool. So, hello, everyone. Just uh, getting myself set up here. I decided I had to make a decision whether I was going to be like a super hipster preacher and bring my laptop up here, but I didn't have an apple, so that's mainly why I didn't do it. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah, guys, this is the second time I get to preach, which is like really awesome and just honored to be here and to share with you tonight. Um, yeah, I don't take it lightly. Uh, the fact that they asked me to come and do it twice is kind of a, a, a pat on the back, so I take that. Thank you, Yaku. But um, obviously, I brought my crew again, my boys, my connect group, and um, I made some new friends today, so I brought Sia. What's the welcome, Bruce? Sorry to put you on the spot. But um, yeah, me and Sia have been through some dark places together. Uh, we actually we went cave crawling this morning, so that's what I'm referring to there. But um, yeah, so it is just really cool to be here. Um, firstly, can I just get a shout out to all the mothers? If you're next to a mother, just give her a high five. You can never have too many high fives. And happy Mother's Day to all of you. Um, I did manage to see mine today, which was also a real blessing. Um, and yeah, guys, it's just, for me, I, church is awesome. And uh, yeah, I just love being with you guys. And yeah, I love this family that I've just fallen into. Um, and yeah, guys, I really, I really pray that as we speak today, that just the heart of God would just sit in your hearts. Um, and that's just what I'm going to pray quickly over what we're going to talk about. So yeah, Father, just thank you for this, this awesome privilege, Lord, just the ability to just have your word, Father, and just learn from it. And that is all we ask that, that we are able to do tonight, that we would just receive, Father, with open hands um, and open hearts and just speak to us powerfully. Amen. Thank you, guys. We've done enough praying. Okay, we're into it. So, guys, um, a quick look at the series ahead. Um, and basically, we are looking at being taken captive. Okay, and uh, just thinking about this with myself, probably the best example that I could come up with was when mom asked to come along shopping with her. And she always lures you in with something good, like, it was that really nice shirt that we saw. Don't you want to come and we'll have a look together? And you're just like, wait a minute, what's going on here? 
And next minute, you're side by side with mom in the mall, and she's got like an errand list of 20 things that she also just needs to do. Boom, taken captive. Anyone been there? (laughs) And so that's what we're looking at. Not exactly, but along those lines. Um, And so we're going to look at, firstly, how do we, uh, and I'm going to have to get the actual caption for the first slide here. So firstly, within being taken captive, we fight a battle, isn't it? And, um, and the first battle we fight is a battle for the one, and that's what we're going to speak about tonight. Um, but going forward, we're going to be looking at the battle for... Mm, <laughs> the battle of the heart and the battle of the mind, isn't it? Um, and so those are the three, the three um, sessions in this um, series that we're going to be looking at. Um, and tonight we have the privilege of going through the battle for the one, and uh, the way I like to call it is man's no one, but Jesus is just one. And uh, yeah, I'm going to take regular sips on my, on my water, so just bear with me. But last time I preached, I literally had the Savannah Desert in my mouth. It was hectic. Um, I've even got my gum this time. <laughs> but yeah, guys, to start off, does anyone know this particular series? Uh, it's called Undercover Boss. Anyone know Undercover Boss? A reality TV show. Goes on CBC. I don't know if anyone's into it. But essentially, Undercover Boss is the story of a high-flying CEO, and they'll, they take different CEOs each season or each episode, and they take this guy who's used to a high and mighty position in boardrooms, and suddenly he puts on an overall, and he becomes a common worker in his own company. And they put on like a horrible looking wig. I don't know how the employees don't see it coming from a mile away. But somehow they get some of them to believe that he's actually there for his first day of work. And he basically lives out a day as a run-of-the-mill employee in his own company. And he experiences their struggles, their frustrations. I'm not sure if he experiences their bad pay. But then he goes through life as an everyday man. And at the end of it, there's a reveal, and his true identity is revealed. And rightly so, those that are faithful, he rewards, and those that are not so faithful, he actually punishes, and some guys get fired. It's quite hectic. Um, and this, this story sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Um, and this is the amazing privilege of what we get to see through the life of Jesus Christ, a man who represents the Father, the King, the Almighty One, who steps down off His throne and lives a life as a common-day man. Surely, if there is any example, if there is any template of a life that we should try and emulate and live, it is the life of Jesus. And so this makes my preaching just super easy, because all we're going to do is read a story of Jesus, and Jesus, the teacher, is going to teach us tonight. And um, I want to just read a quick, a quick verse here from 1 Timothy, which just, it was a creed of the day, but it just it highlights what a privilege it was to see this Godhead walk in flesh. It's from 1 Timothy 3.16, and it says, He was manifested, and another word for that is He appeared or He was revealed in flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit, which means He was proven true by the Spirit of God, and He was seen by angels. Isn't that a crazy thought? That God is so bright and mighty in heaven that He literally cannot be seen. 
For the first time, angels themselves got a glimpse of what God looks like and how God would live a life. He was proclaimed among the nations. He was believed on in the world, and he was taken up in glory. Oof, shivers. Got it. And so that is the life we study today. And so let's go into the Word. Amen. And we are going to read about the, the Samaritan woman at the well. So those of you who have your Bible, get out John 4. We're going to start from verse 4. John 4. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth gospel. All right. Give me a whoop when you've got it. Cool. All right. So I'm going to read through. Okay, we're going to, we're going to take a big chunk of Scripture. So just like brace yourself. Um, but we're going to first read right through the story. Most of you guys already know the story. And then we're going to dig into it. So let me start with John 4 verse 4. It says, I think this is the NIV I'm reading from. But it says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, you see. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have, enough, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his, also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I, can, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, they worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when, we, when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, 
when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So what we're going to do today, guys, is, and it's critical with all of Scripture, is first understand the context around which we read this passage. And then we're going to ask two questions. Number one is, who was the Samaritan, Samaritan woman? And number two is, how did Jesus respond? So first comes the context. And this is super important, guys, because right off the bat, we read this really peculiar line, and it says that Jesus, and I forgot it, so I'm going to just try to scroll back. But it said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, just so you guys understand, nobody had to go through Samaria. To give you guys a bit of context, we need to understand who the Samaritans were. And I don't know about you, but before re like researching this stuff, I had no idea who the Samaritans were. I just know that Jews didn't like them. This is the main point. And I think we hear that all the time. The Samaritan, the good Samaritan is always this paradox because Samaritans weren't meant to be good, right? But why? So just some context is that Israel was this powerful nation which had a big temple in Jerusalem. And then they disobeyed God. And Babylon came, boom, conquered them, took them into exile. Okay, And that happened about 500 years before Jesus even came on the scene. All right? But what was interesting is that the Babylonians came onto the scene and they took only the best Israelites. And what they left behind were the lower ranks of society. Now, those lower ranks of society were judged not good enough by the Babylonians. And what they did was they, they knew a bit of Jewish custom, but, but not all too well. And they married into local tribes and local Canaanites or local pagans in the area. And they then kind of fostered this half-breed religion. It wasn't, it wasn't true Jewish customs, but it had bits and pieces of the Jewish customs. But a lot of pagan belief, a lot of superstition wrapped up in there. And so when the Jewish people finally came back and were released from Babylon, they completely rejected the Samaritans. Because by that stage, they were their own group of people entirely. And in, their, in the Jewish people's eyes, they were half-breeds. They were half-breed religious people. So what made tensions even worse was that suddenly in the mix of all that, the Samaritans had got the idea that the holy place is actually where they live and not further north where the Israelites lived. And so they claimed that a religious mountain was their mountain. It was called Mount Gerizim. And they built a temple there. And the Jews were so offended by this that around 120 B.C., before Christ, they actually marched into Samaria and they burned down their temple. And they were like, peace. And then they left. I mean, you can, you can clearly see there's a lot of history that we step into when we hear this story. The Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated Samaria. So in verse 5, it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was, sat down at the well. So what's up with Jacob's well, and, and does it have any significance to the story? So in Genesis 12, verse 7, 
basically God meets Abraham and he says to him, and he gives him a promise. And God says to Abraham, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Any guess where that happened? That happened at Jacob's well. So much so that later on in Genesis, Jacob, who's Abraham's grandson, gets to that place, buys the land, and digs the well himself as in remembrance of his grandfather Abraham. But that promise still stands. And what happened to that land? That land became Samaritan land. But those people were essentially from the same bloodline as Jacob. And we hear the Samaritan appealing to their ancestor Jacob. So an even deeper truth is that God remains faithful even when we get lost along the way. And so this story is actually a story of faithfulness from Jacob's day. But we read on. And that's basically, I think, giving us some context about where we find ourselves. The next question we need to ask is, who was this woman? Who was the Samaritan woman? And we've gone into the first disqualifying factor about who she was. She was a Samaritan. And Jews did not even talk to Samaritans. In fact, what was, I read a commentary and it must have been, like I just pictured it, it must have been hilarious that Jesus sat down and soon after the Samaritan woman came, but his disciples had already gone into town. And probably the disciples walked past the Samaritan woman while she was on her way to the well. And no doubt they probably would have ignored her flat out. They probably would have walked straight on the path and expected her to move out the path for them. And they probably didn't even look at her and didn't even acknowledge her existence. But whether or not a few comments went down is up for debate. So she was a Samaritan. Then she was a woman. And back in those days, there was just a hectic divide between male and female. Then what makes this worse is she arrives alone and she arrives midday. So what was custom was that the woman, and generally the younger woman of the, of the, of the community, were the ones who got the menial task of going to fetch water. So they would go early in the morning, and they'd probably go with a bunch of their friends because every household needed water for the day. And by probably 10 o'clock, when the sun started getting hot, they were indoors. Here, this woman arrives, and it's midday. It's the heat of the, the sun. It's the one time she knows that there's no one at the well. And what's interesting is she doesn't come with any children, or at least her children didn't fetch water for her. And we don't know the background, but, but was she barren? Was she perhaps disowned by her own family? Was she, perhaps, did she have previous children that we don't know about? There's one truth, and that is that she is an outsider. Is that she comes in midday because she doesn't want to see anyone. Then we know that she's morally impure. We hear about her five husbands. We hear about her staying with someone that isn't her husband. 
we know that in that day, that was ludicrous. That was essentially equivalent to blatant adultery. But we know that the only way that you are able to divorce someone in that culture is if they are adulterous towards you. So this is a woman who's had five husbands. We're seeing a recurring pattern of sin in her life. And that speaks to something. This woman is taken captive. This woman is relationally broken. And she's trapped in perpetual lust, perpetual sin. There's something about each new husband that just doesn't satisfy. And she can feel it. And the minute another attractive option walks past, she's drawn to the next one. There's something morally sick in this woman. And then comes her spiritual state. We just spoke about how she was rejected by her community, but that would have included the synagogue or at least the local place of worship. She was probably not welcome there. She was probably excluded, pushed away from God. And we knew that temples or synagogues were the access point for God for those people. So if you weren't allowed access there, then you were spiritually shipwrecked. And so she is captive by her past. This is the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well. So the question is, how does Jesus respond? And this is what we're here to learn. And so we're going to work through it again from verse 4 and work down. But each time we're going to see what Jesus does and how we can learn from that. And so we see in verse 4, the first thing Jesus does, he chooses Samaria. He chooses a place he knows will be uncomfortable. He chooses a people that he's, his father has promised, but he knows it's his job to redeem. And he chooses it willingly. How many situations do we know God is calling us to, but we know they will be uncomfortable? We will never break open someone's hurt and pain if we are not willing to be uncomfortable. Jesus chose Samaria. We read on in verse 9. In verse 9 it says, The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? But what did Jesus do just before that? He started the conversation. It's probably safe to say that they wouldn't have even had eye contact. She would have just been on her merry way getting water. It was Jesus that initiated that conversation. Jesus was willing to start an uncomfortable conversation. Jesus was willing to break through every barrier that stood between the two of them. Gender barriers, ethnic barriers, religious barriers, customs of the day. He broke through that by starting that conversation. What was crazy is that Jesus didn't treat her the way she expected to be treated. She expected to be ignored. 
She expected to possibly even receive a comment. She was hoping not to find anyone at that well. But Jesus was kind. Jesus was gentle. He asked for help. He was humble. Next, Jesus was human. Man, I just love how human Jesus is sometimes. I mean, he's just come from what is probably a 40 to 50 kilometer walk for that day. No doubt he's exhausted. What is the first thing that his his disciples do? They make a beeline for the town because they are hungry. Okay, Jesus was hungry as well. Can you, for a second, put yourself in his shoes? I don't know about you, but if I'm hungry, if I'm hangry, I'm probably the worst Christian around. I mean, this verse may well have read, And so Jesus arrived at Jacob's well, hangry with sore feet, a solid sunburn, and smelling like a coal miner. He was superhuman, guys. But he had spiritual capacity when his physical tank was empty. And so Jesus' spiritual capacity speaks that of some well that he is drawing from that many of us fail to draw from. When we are like at our ends meet, Jesus has a spiritual capacity that allows him to press in and be the son that he was meant to be. And so from verse 10 we read, and we see that Jesus was strategic. So it says that Jesus answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking for a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. So Jesus recognized that she had a physical need, and that's kind of his line towards engaging her. He offers her something that she needs. And so she's like, yo, okay, well, where's your bucket? Because I need this living water, and uh, you ain't got nothing to draw from. But he doesn't come at her with religion. He doesn't come at her naming and shaming. He comes at her offering something that she needs. I don't know about you, but Sometimes God draws us somewhere with a physical need because he knows that our spiritual need will be answered further down the line. How many of us come to church looking for friends? I mean, that is a genuine need. But God knows that the spiritual seeds that will be sown in your life will only really grow later down the line. Sometimes we need to offer people just practical advice. Sometimes we need to just be their friends. From verse 16, we see he calls for her husband. And I find this this a profound way of him confronting her sin. You see, he knew everything about her. He knew her past. He knew her sin. But what he does is he reveals her sin in a way that she confronts it herself. 
he's posed, she's posed that question, and suddenly she must answer it. And she must just face the fact that she doesn't have a husband. She's staying with a man that she's not even married to. You see, if we cannot own our sin, then we cannot come to repentance. If we cannot face what we've done, which is distant from God, then we cannot choose to repent and turn from that way. But Jesus is also honest, and he's uncompromising. And he, he says it like it is. He says, you're right. You've had five. And the guy you're staying with is not your husband. And then in verse 18, he displays his spiritual authority. He speaks straight into her heart. My question to you guys is, where did this information come from? You know, it's one thing for us to say, you know, we're learning from Jesus, and Jesus' way is how we should do it. But then he does something like this, where he's like, boom, I know your whole life, and he just lays it out, and she's like, how did you know that? And we're like, okay, cool, but I can't do that. You know, I, I could maybe do most of what Jesus was doing up until this point. That's when it gets really hard because I can't see into the future. But what do we speak about? We spoke about Jesus' spiritual capacity. And where does he get this information from? I don't think he just, he woke up that day and just knew that information. I truly believe that as he was speaking to her, he got divine revelation. And that revelation comes from the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lives in me and you. So this is possible, guys. This is a word from God. And sometimes it can be a supernatural word of knowledge. And this supernatural word of knowledge paves the way for what Jesus then speaks into her life. And suddenly she's like, this guy must be a prophet. And what is her reflex? And it's what so many of us do. The minute we, we step into a religious institution like this, or we, we start speaking about God, suddenly it's like, oh, shibbit, I need to get my life in order, and I need to flip over to works-based. You know, like, oh, shibbit, yeah. Suddenly I'm going religious, I'm getting, getting spiritual. Um, did I actually go to church last Sunday? Did I do all the right things? Did I tick the boxes? Am I doing the right thing? Am I always kind? Am I always giving? Am I giving enough? And suddenly it's this checklist of things that we need to do. And so what's her first reflex? It's like, oh, flip, are we worshiping in the right place? So now that you're a prophet, tell me what I should do to be counted worthy. And she says, you know, we worship on this mountain. Is that where we really should worship? Is that what we should be doing? Should I be doing more? Should I be doing less? And her response reveals her heart, that she is rooted in works-based religion. And the revelation Jesus brings into that, at first she, she can't really comprehend. You see, what Jesus offered her in the beginning was a drink. And there's something about drinking. Is it's an act but it's an act of receiving. It's an act that doesn't require much from us. It's mainly dependent on the person offering the drink. 
but it requires us to receive. It's an act of submission. Jesus invited her to drink. And he said that from drinking, these springs of eternal life will come from your life. And so often we approach religion that way. We want to do, and Jesus says, just drink. You need to receive. See, Jesus' message was, I'm the giver of the, of the water, and I don't disqualify you. And the minute this hits, it breaks her life. Because suddenly she realizes that the one person that she's been waiting for, the Messiah, who knows everything about her, has seen her, and seen everything in her, and he's chosen to give her this water, and he doesn't disqualify her. I mean, how many of us live these Instagram lives where everything we show people is the best, and we are terrified that someone would look deeper and see everything that is within us, see all our brokenness, see our past, see how far we fall short, but we're quick to display the best. And here this man, Jesus, steps on the scene and says, I see you. He says, I see your brokenness. I see the things that you try to hide from everyone. I see the things that people have rejected you because of. And I don't. And I'm here to give you a drink. And you don't have to do anything. You have to receive it. And out of that, you have to worship me in spirit and in truth. I just want your honest worship. That's what the Father seeks, our honest worship. And the radical thing is the fruit of this life. We read on in verse, from verse 27, it says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him taking talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out the town and made their way toward him. And later on in verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. What she leaves out is, and he loved me still. See, Jesus promised that if she would drink, she would become the fountain of water springing to eternal life. And a fountain offers water for others to drink. What came from this broken life was the first evangelist. Jesus told, chose to reveal himself for the first time. He was the fir this was the first lady that he ever revealed his true identity to, a broken, disqualified, rejected woman. And what came from that was an entire city saved. Another profound truth is what the disciples brought to Jesus. You see, they brought him bread to fill his belly. And he said, my food is from the Father. 
the Samaritan woman returned with souls. He then said to his disciples, the fields are white with harvest. How many more are as hungry as the Samaritan woman, as thirsty as the Samaritan woman? So guys, there's two types of people sitting here tonight. And some of us are, are sitting with hearts that have experienced and tasted this water. But we're out getting food for our bellies. And others have heard this message and said, I'm that woman. And I think every one of us, before we've truly met Jesus, are that woman. Every one of us, until we have tasted that water, are that woman. So I want us just to close our eyes right now. And I'm going to read a few things to us, guys. And I want you just to consider each one of them. And I want you for a second to just forget that you came with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. I want you forget, to forget that this is a room full of strangers or people you don't know or even people you do know. I want you to take a deep breath. And Jesus, we just ask that you would reveal in people the true nature of their heart, the true condition of their heart right now. Whether they've been Christian their whole life, whether they're deciding today that they're going to follow you. And guys, as I read each of these statements, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I really believe this? Who believes God loves them? Who believes God loves you fiercely? Who believes God would choose to relentlessly pursue you, regardless of how much you reject Him or turn your back on Him? Who believes God would willingly break you free from any bondage, would break through any barrier, would cross any line for you? Who believes He's forgiven you that when your life is in Him, you are no longer guilty. Who believes He can give you true rest? Who believes He's a good Father? Who believes He set you free? And in so doing, He sets your friends free. And He's got a vision to set your workplace free. And he's got a calling for you to set your community free. Now, I want you to just notice what was happening in your heart. I want you to notice any hesitance with anything that I said. Because there are things in each one of our hearts that we do not believe, despite them being true.
Now God asks us to worship Him in this truth and in spirit. And so those of you who are at the well today, at the well of your life, and you've disqualified yourself a long time ago, your life speaks loud enough, tells you you're not worthy. Your past tells you you're not worthy. And today, Jesus is here. And he meets with you. And he says, I am the living God. And I've come to give you water. All I ask is that you drink. There are people here who have never drunk of that water. If that's you today, I want you to put your hand up. Lord, we pray that you are the same God in this story that is with us today. The same Jesus that offered that cup is here today, and he offers it to everyone here, Lord. I thank you that all we have to do is acknowledge our sin, repent from it, and receive that cup from you. Receive your forgiveness and receive your living water. I thank you that you just require worship in truth and in spirit. Then there's a second group of people here tonight, and, and they're part of the disciples, and, and they've also walked a long road with Jesus and maybe, maybe got really tired, maybe got hungry. Maybe their bellies have started to, started to churn louder than the call of God over their lives. And maybe they've got distracted. And maybe the wrong things in life have become more attractive. And if that's you tonight, just put up your hand. Everyone's closing their eyes. If God is convicting you tonight, Honor him by putting up your hand. And Father, we pray for these people. And we know that your spirit comes not to rebuke, not to punish, but to offer that same living water that we may drink of it time and time again and realize that you have called us to go into the city and to speak of your goodness in our lives and bring the city to Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that that, that was never an explicit instruction over the woman at the well. It was a natural outpouring of her life. And I thank you that we can look critically at our own lives and say, sure, Lord, I've experienced that water, but my life doesn't look anything like that, that woman's life after she met you. And maybe I've spent too long in the city and forgot what I was doing there. 
Won't you reignite that same passion to tell others of how you've changed our lives? And may that well of eternal water just spill over for every person in our life to drink from and to taste what God is offering, to taste what is good. Yeah, Lord, we just seal this in your name. We just thank you that, that you had a specific message for every person here today. I just thank you that open hearts receive this message, Lord. And ultimately, Father, your burden is easy. Your yoke is light. But following you is a life that looks radically different. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen.